Good morning. Welcome to High Point. Happy New Year to you. It's great to be here with you uh, today. I know uh, some of you we haven't had the, the chance to meet yet, but Merry belated Christmas, I guess, to you and Happy New Year to you as well. It's a great uh, day to be alive. It's a great day to be worshiping together. This is High Point Church. Uh, we have been here for a few years at this school. We're a, a younger church here in the Kennesaw area. And we're a part of a movement called Every Nation. And what you heard in some of the announcements, in case you, you didn't catch all of it, uh, is that our global spiritual family is participating. First week of the year, we do this every single year. All of our churches around the world, we participate by praying together for a week. And we fast together. And if you're like me, you may have grown up going to church. I never fasted a day in my life. I didn't know what on earth fasting was, even though Jesus talks about fasting and he says things like when you fast with kind of this built-in assumption that we, we would just do this. And fasting is this moment where we would remind ourselves who's ultimately in control. And when Jesus, if you remember when he's out and he's being tempted by Satan, he's, he's reminding himself what he's truly hungry and thirsty for. He fasts. And Satan comes to him and says, hey, you know, take this rock and turn it into some bread. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You got this all wrong. I'm hungry for the things of God, my paraphrase, okay? And what we want to do starting the year out right is set the temperature for what it looks like to be hungry for the things of God. And remind ourselves that what really satisfies us yeah, it's a good steak. I, I get it. Steak's good. We love it, right? Unless you're a vegetarian or whatever. <laughs> but what really satisfies you, the greatest need that you have is for Jesus Christ to fill your heart, yeah. to fill your soul. And so that's what we're beginning to do at uh, the beginning of this year. Every single day, we'll have a prayer call. You can get all the information. If you text HP info to 97,000, we'll get you all the information. You can participate on a 30-minute prayer call at 7.30 every morning this week. Uh, you can join us right back here Friday night at 7 o'clock. We're going to have a time of worship and prayer with each other. Well, we're literally just focusing our heart and emotions and everything we have on the year ahead for what God wants to do in us and through us. And on your way out today, there's a little prayer guide. I forgot to Bring it up with me, but there's a little devotional that literally will guide you in reading the Bible and praying every single day this week. You can grab one on the way out if you haven't grabbed one already. Uh, literally at first impressions at our reception for guests, there's little baskets and you'll see them around the church. Sound good? It's going to be a great week. God is doing extraordinary things in this church and we're praying for him to continue doing extraordinary things through your life. God wants to do incredible things through your life. You need to believe that. You need to know that. You need to settle that in your heart and in your soul that you have a God in heaven who loves you in an unfathomable capacity. He loved you enough to send his son for you. And he has great plans for you and great purposes for you. We need his grace, his amazing grace to really experience all that God has for us. What he wants to do in you, how he wants to transform you, how he wants to change you. 
You guys ready to get into the Bible this morning as we start the year off strong? Romans chapter 5. I'm going to forewarn you this morning, I'm coming with it today. So fasten your seatbelts. We are going to jump in because I believe that God truly has great things in store for our church. Romans chapter 5, the scriptures say this, verse 17. This is, by the way, the, the message, this verse is being preached all around the world in our every nation churches, whether that's uh, Baghdad, whether that is in Paris, France, whether that's in Sydney, Australia. We're all preaching and praying the same things. And if you're like me, I love that. I love being united to something bigger than just me. Romans chapter 5, verse 17. For if by the trespass of the one man, referring to Adam in the Garden of Eden, the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? In other words, if one man, Adam's choice, if one man, Adam's sin could bring about the destruction of man's soul, what can we say about the one righteous life, the sacrifice of Jesus, and what it brings about for all those who would believe? It's like, what's the, what is it called? A fraction, a reciprocating fraction or reciprocal? Is that what it is? Come on, math. It's been, a, it's been a while, you guys. It's been a while. Let's just delete that from the record. God has given you grace today. All right? He has apportioned grace to you. And the word that the Bible uses to talk about this grace for you and for me is this word abundant. You have an abundance of grace. The, the definition of grace, we don't use it when we have southern grace, right? We just need a little grace for that. You pray and you say grace. Anybody grew up saying that? It's time to say grace. Well, what does that even mean? It's not even the bright biblical definition of grace, but we use it in the south. You got to say grace. Or if somebody offends you, right? And another word for like, bless his heart. Bless his little heart is to just have a little grace. Right? It just means to kind of cover it up, to let it go. But that's really not the biblical definition of grace. Grace means this, that, that you and I experience the unmerited favor of God. That's what grace is. The unmerited favor of God towards men and women. Towards humanity. You didn't earn anything, and yet God is good to you. He's gracious to you. Grace. And when the scriptures say that he has given you grace, but not just grace, abundant grace, that means he has given you plentiful, abounding, unmerited favor. It's difficult to comprehend. I don't naturally operate in a, in, a, in a mindset of abundance. I didn't grow up that way. Some of you know what this means because we just had Christmas and my dad was the kind of person he would spend some money. He loved to spend money. He loved to spend money we didn't have kind of money. 
And he would love to buy my mom presents that were expensive. And my mom would open those presents and her reaction was, this is too expensive. We're taking this back, right? Now, there's, no, there's nothing wrong with either of those postures. Some people pride themselves on what they save. Other people pride themselves on how they spend and what they spend it on. And ultimately, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But you can see in different cultures and different people groups, sometimes you can have a, almost a poverty mindset when it comes to God and His grace. As if somehow we've got just enough grace, you've got just enough to get by kind of grace. But that's not the grace that God has given you or me. He's given us abundant grace, plentiful grace. I don't understand this concept very easily. I don't have abounding or, or, or uh, huge amounts of cash. I don't know what that word looks like to have abundance in possession. We have abundance of laundry. It just appears. We have four children. We don't even know how this happens. Where did these socks even come from? There's an abundance of dishes that accumulate. There's an abundance of holiday weight that no one wants. It just gets there. It just happens. We understand abundance like that. But an abundance of grace. God's unmerited favor towards your life. That it would be more than you need more than enough, it'd be overflowing, that his goodness towards you, it'd be, it'd be impossible to comprehend. That's the kind of grace that we have. And many times, it's the kind of grace that we never lay hold of. Because we think God is just kind of getting us through or getting us by. And he has more for you and more for me than that. And that's the kind of thing we can all say amen to. Amen. Amen. This idea of grace, this idea of amazing grace, it's not just a New Testament concept. Throughout the Bible, we see this word grace being used in God's relationship with his people. In fact, Noah, it says, Noah was a man who found favor in the eyes of the Lord, unmerited favor. Moses was someone, the Bible says, that found favor with God. And what did God do through Moses? He moved so powerfully through his life and in his life. In Exodus chapter 33, we see Moses meeting with God in the tent of meeting. Joshua's with him, sitting outside and Literally all of Israel would sit, or excuse me, they would stand and they would begin to worship God when Moses would go to the tent of meeting. And the Bible says that Moses and God met with each other like a friend meets face to face. That's hard to imagine, isn't it? In 2020, there's a part of me that has reservation. Would I want that? Yes, I would. But that is a scary thing. This perfect and holy God, and yet he shows his loving kindness and he shows his favor, his unmerited favor to Moses. 
And what's interesting is that God, if you recall from Exodus 33, he isn't going to go up with Israel. Israel is, is trying to get into the promised land and, and God has kind of had it. Because they continue to sin against him. And Moses has a conversation like he does with a friend. And he says, how will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? God promises to go with him. And he says, I'm pleased with you, Moses, and I know you by name. Because Moses found favor and God showed him grace. And when Moses asked for help leading, guess what God did? I mean, with a snap of a finger, he appointed 70 people to come help him in his leadership. And when the people were hungry and thirsty and Moses prayed, you know what God did? He showed him favor and he brought him food. He brought all of Israel water to drink. And when they didn't know what direction to turn or what to do, when they asked for God's leading, guess what God did? He showed up and he, he met them in their place of need because the God that we serve is a God who shows amazing grace, unmerited favor towards his people. Noah, Gideon, the Bible says the same thing, that God showed favor to him. He found favor in his eyes. Samuel, Esther, David, we see a recurring pattern running through the Bible that God shows grace to his people. And then we get to the Romans, all the way into the New Testament. Jesus has died and he's risen from the grave. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Romans is tough to read. I'll be honest with you. It's wordy. The writer Paul, he writes the longest sentences in the history of mankind in the book of Romans. And it can be a little heady and difficult to read. I, I get it. So the, an illustration sometimes helps us understand it. And for me, I don't always grasp, again, this, this concept of grace, but there was a story that made headlines in 2019 that I want to bring back up today, and it's a local story of us here in Atlanta, of Morehouse University. And the entire graduating class in 2019, as they were sitting, and, and I forget the gentleman's name, Wright was his last name? Smith. That's what it is. Thank you. I should have written that down. Robert F. Smith. Surprised Morehouse College. By paying off all of the student debt of everyone sitting there, including parent loans. Okay? All of it. Which totaled to be about $34 million. Anybody who has college debt is like, what the, you know, and they, they want to, like, God, why not me? Why not now? But this is a great way of understanding abundant grace because this man is a billionaire. He has more money than, than most likely, not suggesting you couldn't, 
but most likely no one sitting here in this room has experienced that kind of wealth. And most of you sitting here have also experienced the weight of a debt that you know is going to take a very long time to pay. Millennials in particular are saddled with college debt and are finding themselves literally paying on it for decades, right? No discouragement here. But the class of 2019, some of who are sitting in this room right now, had their debts wiped out. And the joy, the ecstatic, like, oh my God, like the overwhelming gratitude, the, the impossible nature of what does this even mean to me? I don't have to pay this. The freedom that I experience now. How do I wrap my head around this? You have been afforded a gift that you did not earn, that you did not do anything to get. It was given to you, and it has changed your life. And when we talk about the gift of God, the grace of God, in its abounding nature, you didn't earn it. You didn't do anything for it. The one who had all the capacity to give, gave. And it has changed your life. Now, if you're sitting here this morning and you have never responded to the free gift of salvation, this is what we're talking about. That Jesus Christ died for your sins. And yes, the weight of your sin, it's a crushing debt. It's far greater than the financial implication of four or five or six year college tuition. Far greater. And yet what happens in the areas of, of our country that are saturated with Christianity or with church or we've, we've heard the gospel before, we're blown away at this idea that, that the finances would be taken away, that, that student debt would be wiped out, and we, we stand to our feet, we, we clap, we write posts about it. We're commenting on it. We are just, our minds are blown at someone's generosity. And yet when we talk about the gift of salvation and the abounding grace of Jesus Christ and what he has afforded you, we sit as if it's no big deal. As if the grace of God, the abounding grace, grace of God isn't absolutely mind-blowing. The abundant provision, it's impossible to comprehend. And it is unfathomable how great news, the greatness of this news is. I get tongue-tied even talking about it. How has God shown us grace? Romans chapter 5, verse 6. We started off kind of with this idea of abundant grace. And now I'm backtracking. I'm going to bring us right back up to the same verse. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. The scriptures say that at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. 
Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is an abundant grace. Unmerited favor beyond comprehension. debated whether to talk about this, but I'm going to. If you know me, the thought of a challenge just it excites me. So we're going, I'm just going to ramp it up a notch this morning. Because one of the things in our culture, and, and I don't blame our culture in case this is going to sound like angry Pastor Andy, but there is a frailty in our culture right now. But that frailty, in many ways, it's, it's like we have baked a cake and then we're mad for how it tasted, even though we've ra- we put the ingredients into the cake, right? So when, when, when older 40-year-olds get mad and t- point to a 20-year-old as if somehow you know, there, there's something wrong with our culture, well, everything is a product of the previous generation, Okay? And one of the things that we don't like to talk about in church anymore are things like the weight of sin. We don't like to talk about the fact that we are unrighteous before a holy God. That God's holy and we're not. That hell is real. That there is a place, if you choose to reject the free gift of God, the gift of salvation, the grace that He has afforded you, well, eternity without Him is what we call hell in Scripture. That's literally a living hell. Life without God and His goodness and His faithfulness in your life. We have to recapture Talking about difficult things like sin, conviction, repentance. That we have to repent and turn and lay our sins at the cross and let Jesus deal with our hearts. Jesus is a good and loving and gracious Savior. And He literally gave His life For you and for me, not out of anger, but out of love and compassion for a lost and broken people. But if we have low esteem of our sin before a holy God, we will have low esteem of our salvation. And one of the reasons we have a difficult time rejoicing over the good news of what Jesus has done is because we forget what we've been saved from. Our debt doesn't feel like that great of a debt. I'm kind of a good person. I've got good positive vibes. I have great energy. No, you don't. You don't have a good energy. You don't have great positive vibes. You might be able to bring a little something to the table. I get it. I mean... Come on, you can be a nice person, I get it. But when you take a nice person, Andy, the nicest version that Andy can do in his own strength, and you put it before the perfect and holiness, the perfection of him, guess what? I am a wretched person before a holy and righteous God. And it points out 
my great need to be saved and the abundant grace I am desperate for. I can, there's only one thing I can do, and that's have faith that God would give unmerited favor towards me. And the good news is that he has. You with me this morning? Verse 9, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him, through Jesus? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Our sin is great, church, but His grace is greater. Yeah. Oh, your sin is great, but your Jesus, oh, He's far greater. Archbishop, Arch, wow, the Archbishop, that almost sounded like a cuss word that came out right there. The Archbishop of Canterbury in the year 1675 was acquainted with a very well-known actor at the time. His name was Mr. Butterton. This just sounds like it was made for Downton Abbey. Mr. Butterton. Archbishop Canterbury asks Butterton, he says, Pray inform me, Mr. Butterton, what is the reason your actors on stage can affect your congregations with speaking of things imaginary as if they were real and people are moved to tears? While we in church speak of things real, which our congregations only receive as if they were imaginary. It's convicting, isn't it? Do you really believe that Jesus Christ has died for you? Do you really believe that he has given you an abundance of grace? This gift is not like our trespass. For if the many died by the trespasses of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ? You see, this grace that Jesus has apportioned you, it isn't just the get by kind of grace. The scriptures say that you've been given an abundance, plentiful, unmerited favor, and it gives you the ability to reign in this life. Now, we're not talking about your life as best as you can imagine it. And if you can think it, you can have it. No, that isn't the gospel. 
But make no mistake about it. The implications of Jesus' grace for you are not just for, the, for the, the, the moment when you die and you meet God face to face. They're for here and now as well. At our house, we have this thing that we do once a year. Where and I grew up doing this. It was one of my favorite things that we, as a kid, I didn't care. But when you get older, you look back and you're like, wow, that's really neat. We do this thing where we, we write down what we're thankful for. It goes in our stocking each year that gets hung up at Christmas. You do it around New Year's, right before all the stuff comes down. You write what you're thankful for on one piece of paper. And on the other side of the piece of paper, you write what you're believing God to do. In the coming year. And if you have kids in the house that can read and write, they have to participate whether they like it or not. <laughs> and it sounds a little, you know, who, who wants, everybody wants to play with their Christmas presents. Everybody wants to be on their phone and their technology and all their things, but there's something about taking a minute and stopping. And accounting for how God's grace has moved in your life over the course of a year and literally giving him thankfulness for it, thanksgiving over it, expressing gratitude for it. But what's even more amazing is when you flip the page and you see what you wrote a year prior, what you were asking God to do. Somehow we were missing 2018's the column on both sides, but I found 2017s. We're believing God to do this in my child's life, or we're asking God for you to do this in the church. I'd like to see this happen on our staff and our team. I'd like to see this happen in my marriage. I'd like to see this happen in our health. God, I'm asking for you to do this. I'm asking for you, the God of heaven and earth. I don't deserve this. I have no reason that to, there's nothing I can do to earn it, Father, but you are a God who loves his people. You love your sons and daughters enough to send Jesus Christ to die for their sins. You love me enough to give me an abundant grace that it not only changes my eternal destination, but it changes my here and now. You are the kind of God that loves me, that's intimately acquainted with the affairs of my life. You know how many hairs are on my head. Like Moses, you know my very name. What can you not do, God? You are a God that is gracious. Would you be gracious here? And over and over and over again. I'm believing for God to do this. And then you look a year later and God has met you right in your place of need. And every once in a while, you've got something that he hasn't moved in. And it's easy to then say, well, God's not real. Or his timing isn't great. Or why didn't you name it and claim it a, a little bit harder? And what we realize over time, over the things that God hasn't met us in the timeline that we so desired, that God is still gracious. 
and that he's still moving in ways that oftentimes are beyond my comprehension. And when God brings clarity to it a year later or two years later or three years later, it's amazing when the light bulb goes off and you see how God, even when he wasn't answering your prayers the way you wanted him to, was still gracious time and time and time again. See, he is a God who gives abundant grace, grace that you might know him and experience salvation. And also grace in that he will meet you in your place and hour of need. What do you need his abundant grace for? What are you asking for his favor in your life upon? God, I need you to heal me this year. I need you to help me forgive this year. I release this to you. God, would you extend grace to me? Lord, you know how much I've needed literally another job. Would you extend grace to me this year on it, Father? We're having difficult time paying our bills. We're having difficult time in our marriage. I'm having a difficult time with my child. I don't know what to do with my teenager or teenager. I don't know what to do with my parents or I don't know how to function at school or I don't know what to think or feel about myself or or this or that. God is a God who is gracious and he gives abundant grace to you and to me and consistently Time and time and time again, the God that we serve moves in such a way that is abundantly beyond what I could ask or imagine. God loves you, church. His love for you is truly unfathomable. So much so that he gives you grace. Abounding grace. Abundant grace. Grace that knows no height, no depth. No length, no breadth. It's beyond your wildest imagination. What do you need from him today? Do you need him to lift the weight of sin upon your heart? What do you need him to do? Have you given your life to him? Have you professed faith in him? Have you truly believed that this God is the God who sent his son for you? Do you need him to heal this year, today, this week, this month? Do you need a breakthrough? What can God not do? What can his grace not accomplish in your life? Father, we thank you. We thank you for your abundant grace this morning and that you meet us in any in every place of need. We love you and worship you.